Welcome to the Fostering Conversation podcast. We are glad you've joined us. I am Brant Nine, and sitting next to me is Mike Schaefer. We are excited to introduce Welcome Home Youth Advocacy to those listening. Something new is almost always birthed out of a story, and Mike's story is what drives this new initiative. Before we get into that, Mike, briefly introduce yourself and tell us, what is Welcome Home? Welcome Home is a nonprofit I started here a couple of months back. Um, Our mission here is to support uh, kids and families in the foster and adoptive community and just give them uh, the help they need uh, facing a lot of the struggles that they go through day to day. Yeah. Yeah. How did Welcome Home come to be? Like what what made you think about doing this and, and how was it birthed? Welcome Home was placed on my heart going on about a decade ago, and I always just kind of pushed it back and pushed it to the side and thought, well, that's too big for me. I can't, I can't take that on. That's, there's just so much involved with that, and I don't, right. I don't think I have the ability to do that. And I kind of, you know, had thought about it for a long time and just, yeah, it was in the back of my head, and I got to a place in my life where I really was just struggling. I'd hit uh, a rough patch for sure, and uh was just kind of floating, just kind of going through the motions of life and mm-hmm. really felt without purpose. And, you know, I hit, hit a snag and hit some, hit some bad things in my life and started meeting with a mentor. And mm-hmm. one of the big things we focused on in our conversations was, you know, what, what is your purpose? What, what drives you? What are you really passionate about? And yeah. how do you get into that? And so Welcome Home really was birthed from that and just that, that process of, you know, Men, uh, meditating on that and praying on that and yeah. just kind of seeing what that really meant and what it looked like. Right. Where does that passion come from? Why Why is it important to you, the fostered, adoptive community? Why is that important to you? And, and, and maybe how does that relate to your story? Well, the foster and adopted community is important to me because I was a foster kid and I was adopted. Um, I was born into a pretty rough situation in Pennsylvania. My parents, both my birth parents, were drug addicts and alcoholics. Um, I have siblings, birth siblings, that uh, were in that same situation as well. And as little kids, we had it pretty rough. My initial earliest memories are not great ones. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we struggled quite a bit. My mother was um, a prostitute, and uh, we had a lot of drugs in and out of our in and out of our apartment and lives growing up and a lot of uh, men coming in and out of our apartment and lives growing up. Uh, we uh, struggled to have food and our basic needs met. When we needed food, we went out and robbed stores, me and my brother and my wow. little sister. And we just, you know, we did what we had to do to survive. Um, my earliest memory of uh, my father is him beating me when I was a little kid because I didn't want to drink a beer. And I was like two and a half, three years old. Oh my word. He wanted me to. And I, I said no, cause I was two and a half and he hit me in the face. And, uh, <laughs> that's my earliest memory of my dad. And, uh, you know, the, just, just some of those things that we went through and struggled with, um, you know, put a lot of this on my heart. And then there was a gentleman from a church organization that, uh, they had put on some sort of event in our hometown, and mm-hmm. uh, he had kind of saw me and my brother and my sister um, and had heard about our story somehow, and he decided to intervene and got the state involved. And mm-hmm. when I was four, the state stepped in and took us away from our situation. Um, my two sisters both immediately got adopted because they were younger. Me and my brother both got placed into the system. Um So that was when I was four. Uh, In the three years that I was in the foster care system, I had eight placements. Wow. I bounced around quite a bit. 
I don't have a lot of memories of that uh, just because it was so many families in such a short period of time. You kind of block it out. Yeah. Um, but the last family I was with at that time, they had one other child and the last foster placement I had. And I will, I'll never forget this. I was six years old mm-hmm. and they sat me down and said, Mike, we're giving you up because we don't have enough love for two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I had known at the time I was going to a family that had three biological kids. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me mentally <laughs> yeah. how that was going to work and how that kind of looked. Um, but I did eventually get adopted by that family. And it seemed like a pretty great situation. The father was a pastor. Um, he had been a pastor for a number of years. So it seemed like I was going into a pretty good situation. But uh, two years later, my adopted parents got divorced. Okay. Uh, my father cheated on my mother. Um, and so that whole family dynamic fell apart pretty quickly. And, you know, it left me struggling with, you know, how does like, again, relationships and families that just never looked real to me. I didn't understand what that meant. Um, and my three sisters at that time struggled with all that as well. It was a really difficult thing. And so my teen years, well, they got divorced when I was nine. So as I got older in my teen years, I just struggled. I lashed out quite a bit just because I didn't, I never felt close to people. I never felt, you know, like anybody really was there. Anybody really cared because of how much I bounced around in the different, the different dynamic and how that looks. Um, My brother had it a little worse and I think it was harder for him once he got into the system because, you know, he was the one that took care of me and my, my little sisters. He was, you know, at six years old, he was the adult. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he got placed and he was expected to be a little kid again. Yeah. And that just doesn't work that way. It's, right. it's a really hard transition for a kid. They don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And um, so he got placed and then he got adopted. Uh, but the family thought he was too hard to deal with. And then he got put back into the system. Um, his adopted family gave up on him and he ended up aging out. And I've had no contact with him. And I don't know whether he's alive or not. I don't know where he's at. None of us do. Oh, so, Mike. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, you know, you, you talk about your story from, you know, that, that point of being two, two and a half, three years old till, um, you know, kind of your teenage years, if you will, and going from being hit by your dad to uh, seeing your mom um, as a prostitute to, being taken by the government um, and placed and being told by um, what seemed like a solid family that there's not enough room in their heart to love you, and then going to what you thought was a really good situation with with Christian parents that ended up getting divorced, and then this idea that, but my brother had it worse than I did. Um, That just struck me when you said that. I imagine that your brother walked into a situation, like you said, and he was expected to be a child because he's six, seven years old. And he still had that mentality of, no, I'm in charge too. And I'm sure what was uh, meant, his intentions were meant to be helpful in some ways, I'm sure was interpreted as defiance. And so back to the system he goes, right? Yeah. Um, what, how heartbreaking to not know whether or not your brother is still alive, man. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to connect uh, with my biological sisters in the last uh, eight or nine years. They actually found me through Facebook. Wow. And the one sister really had a desire, you know, to to find her birth family, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that so that 
that was the impetus behind all that. And, but the three of us have kind of connected and, but we just have not been able to locate my brother. And, you know, he's one of the driving forces as to why I want to do this because, you know, I owe so much to him. Mm. I I wouldn't be around if it wasn't for him. Wow. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit. Let's stay on that bullet point for just a second. Tell me, tell the listeners, I guess a little bit of, about your story of, of just uh, reconciliation, even in the past year, in a lot of ways. Uh, one thing you've said to me is you went through all this growing up, and then when you had stability, you would a lot of times self-sabotage. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so I think a lot of kids in, that are going through these situations and have gone through these situations, and um, like I did, you struggle with feeling out of control Mm. all the time. All these important decisions, all these important events in your life are not controlled by you in any way. You have people telling you where to go, when to go, where to be, you know, Mm. and it's a constant. So when you have the ability to have some sense of control in your life, you grasp it and you want to control everything because you haven't had it for so long. And so as I got to be an adult, I really struggled with that and my relationships always suffer because of it. And I never had a good example of what a loving relationship looked like. I, I bounced around so much and I never had stability for more than five years. And I can really track it in my life from birth to four, you know, Mm -hmm. my life was in upheaval and then I was taken out and placed into the system. So then it was eight families in three years and then I got adopted and then my parents got divorced in two years and I lived with my mom for the, from the time I was nine to the time I was 14. And then I moved in with my dad, you know, because I felt like I was a pawn in that, in that battle of who's the better parent, you know, just uh, divorced kids go through that. Right. You know, so I never had that stability. There was never a, a, a situation in my life, a relationship in my life that lasted more than five years. Wow. And so then I got married in my early 20s. Um, I was 22. And I got close to that four or five year mark. And I couldn't deal with it. Mm. It wasn't normal for me. So I had to throw the chaos into it to blow it up because I wanted to be in control of that that relationship falling apart. Wow. Yeah. It was easier for me to deal with it if I controlled it Mm -hmm. because, you know, I can plan my emotions around what I do, but I can't plan my emotions around what anybody else does. So it was just simpler for, for me to break that up and do it in my own way. Wow. Um, and I had done that throughout my adult life. Um, you know, and thank the good Lord that my wife is, such a forgiving, <laughs> amazing person mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, without that, I don't, I wouldn't be in the place that I am. And I, you know, I struggled with a lot of things and to, to go back to what you referenced in the last year, you know, I had picked up my second DUI in three years just because I was self-medicating that way. And, uh, you know, I was drinking to not think about things and to not worry about stuff. And, you know, I, there again, I was at a point in, you know, my, me and my wife have been divorced and we've recently gotten remarried in the last, well, we're coming up on our seventh anniversary Mm. the second time around. And, but there again, I hit that point where I had to throw chaos into my life, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's that I long so much for stability because of what I went through, but then I couldn't handle the stability because the chaos was my normal. Yeah. 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 What I've been able to witness and had the privilege of seeing is 
Mike really leaning into the Lord and allowing him to do work in him. And now uh, the God, the creator of the universe, is working through Mike in a lot of amazing ways. And so uh, what a testimony. Hey, Mike, what is the need? What are the problems facing the foster and adoptive community? I think the need is gigantic, honestly. I don't think people really grasp what's really going on in that community and kind of what the problems are. Nationally, there's over 400,000 kids in the foster care system. Mm. 700 kids enter the system each day, which ends up being about 250,000 kids a year in wow. the system. And there's a lot of kids bouncing in and out. They get they get put into the system and then they get placed back with their family and then they get put back in and then they get placed back with their family. So there's a lot of trauma that's involved with that. Um, the, the, the issue with going in and out of the system there, the kids, kids don't know how to process that. They don't know how to process being taken from their family. They don't know how to process constantly being switched around. So foster care kids are up to the, 80% of them have mental health issues. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of that is depression and anxiety. They're seven times more likely to have depression, five times more likely to suffer from anxiety. Um, and so with a lot of that, normal things like schooling and stuff like that is really hard for these kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the educational disparity for foster kids is really, really bad. Only 50% of foster kids graduate high school. Mm -hmm. Only 3% graduate college. Um 80% of our prison system is filled with people that were in the foster care system. Wow. Which is a really scary number. It's a cycle. It is a, it is a, a really bad cycle. Um, and then to that end, you know, foster care kids kind of get lost in the shuffle mm -hmm. because it's a government system, because of those types of, th and no, you know, nothing against the people that work in the system. I just think they're overwhelmed with the amount. And that system was never built to handle what it's handling right now. Yeah. So nationally, um, 55 kids just vanish out of the foster care system every day. They just every disappear. day. It's over 20,000 kids a year that just disappear. And people, we don't know where they are. We don't know what happened to them. Um, and you, you're talking kids that have aged out or just in general? Just in general. Wow. Yeah, not kids that have aged out, kids that are actively in the in the system. And, you know, a, a number that, that's really scary that goes along with that is 60% of sex traffic victims report mm. being in the foster care system. You know, these kids are just looking for love. Yeah. And they're looking to be accepted for who they are, and they often find it in the wrong places. Oh there's, you know, within that 400,000 kids that are in the system, there's 135,000 that are waiting to be adopted which means that their parental rights have been given up. They have nobody coming for them. They're either getting placed or they're aging out. Yeah. That's all. That's the only options they have. And to aging out, 20,000 to 25,000 kids age out each year, um, which is a pretty, pretty big number. And in the first four years of aging out, 40% of those kids end up homeless, over 50% abuse drugs or alcohol, and 84% end up as parents within the first two to four years. Yeah, so the cycle continues. It, it turns into a generational cycle. So you have these homeless kids that are unprepared and don't have anything mm -hmm. to fall back on having kids of their own. Don't get the good education that they need, end up in the prison, right? End up in prison and then do it all over again. And they don't have a family or support system there right. to help them go through these hard times. Man. Let's talk about a little bit more closer to home. Yeah, so Indiana, surprisingly, uh, for population, has the fourth highest rate of kids in the foster care system in the nation. Unreal. 
There's about uh, 31,000 kids in foster care in Indiana. Um, Elkhart County, out of the 92 counties in Indiana, Elkhart County has the ninth highest rate, and St. Joe County has the fifth highest rate of kids in the foster care system. That's close to home, y'all. Yeah, it's in our backyard. It is not a far away problem. You mentioned to me one time, I don't know what year this data was collected, but I'm sure it's it's either similar or worse than it was before. Um, but how many kids are looking for placements in Indiana and how many homes are available? Yeah, so um, there's an organization called The Villages, which I, is one of the bigger uh, organizations that works with foster care kids in Indiana. And in 2022, through them, there was over 5,000 requests for foster placement, and there was only 315 homes available. Man. And so when kids don't get placed, they either end up in detention centers or group homes, things of that nature. Um, and so once you put a kid in a detention center out of no fault of their own, just because their family situation turned bad, you yeah. know, you institutionalize these kids from an early age, and then we right. expect them to turn out differently, which is yeah. a really difficult thing. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So let's talk about Welcome Home. How does Welcome Home aim to help this community? Um, so, yeah, Welcome Home, <laughs> initially we want to kind of really focus on just basic needs for these families. Um, we uh, are starting a foster closet, which is going to provide clothing and household items, you know, just the necessities that these families need that, honestly, when you take a kid in, you know, you're taking in a whole other person and financially a lot of these people that take foster kids in are really strapped they do it because of you know the good in their heart and just this desire to help these kids but a lot of these people have kids of their own um and a lot of foster parents take on more kids than they probably should sure just because they have such a heart for it Mm -hmm. um we also want to be able to provide uh support groups for these families and connect them with support groups that are already up and running um we want to be able to start peer support groups because i think it's really important important for kids to have a space to share their stories and be able to connect with people that have similar stories and similar experiences and be able to share what they're going through together. I think that's a really important thing. Right. Yeah. So why is the podcast important? I mean, here we are. What do you hope to accomplish with it? Yeah, I think the podcast is important uh, for people that, you know, I want to have people on that have been foster parents that are doing fostering that have adopted so they can share those stories and those experiences, uh, the ups and the downs, all that. I mean, cause there's good and there's bad, you know, there's both sides. And I think people need to hear that. I also believe that, um, you know, if there's people that are on the fence about foster, there's a lot of people that think about fostering, but, mm-hmm. uh, they just, they're unsure because they hear all these negative stories. They hear all the horror stories. Of right. it and they're like, well, that's, that's too much. I don't want to deal with that. Right. You know, so I, I want people to be able to just start a conversation, uh, raise awareness as well. I think that's the thing that people don't understand that, that it actually is such a big pervasive problem. You know, that these kids are, there's so many of them and how widespread it actually is and how close to home it is for us. Um, also, I want kids to be able to hear stories like mine. I want people like right. me that have gone through it and grown up through it to share, um, just so they know that there is another side to it. There is an end to it. There is You get past it, even though sometimes when you're in the midst of it, it seems like that's an impossibility. You're never going to get to the other side. You're yeah. never going to grow out of it, for sure. Right. So let's dream for a second and <clears throat> paint a picture for our listeners of what you envision Welcome Home being? What are some goals? If you could if you could dream anything up and it could happen right now, I mean, what are some future goals that you have? I, 
For Welcome Home, I would love for Welcome Home to be an all-inclusive type of thing where people can come and just find the help they need, whether that be, um, you know, skills and jobs training for these kids because mm-hmm. of the disparity in the in the education system for them, um, counseling services for people, because I think that's a huge need. And just the, the monetary cost of counseling is just astronomical. And a lot of times people don't do it just because of that. That's what's holding them back. Um resources. I have found going mm-hmm. through this process and starting Welcome Home, doing the research to try to find information and organizations that are out there to help and grants for adoption and financing options for all that and mm-hmm. where to get certification training for fostering. And it is just a lot to wade through. It's just so many different things. And it's especially if you're in the midst of it and you're in the middle of a a tough situation or you're in the middle of just an emergency, you don't have time to go through all that. You don't have time to search for all that stuff. So to bring a central place for resources, you know, so people can come like, Oh, I can find that answer real quick and get what I need from that. Mm -hmm. Um, Welcome home needs a home. We need a building. (laughs) So that is a huge dream. Obviously Uh, right now we're kind of, you know, on the web and we, we're doing what we can, but we definitely need a brick and mortar location. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a big dream. So, yeah. Yeah. Right now they're, you're running out of your house yeah. <laughs> and, uh, which is pretty admirable. So if this resonates with those listening, uh, what is their next step? Uh, how should they go about contacting welcome home or getting connected? So I would love for people to go on the website. Uh, you can check that out at welcomehomeyouth.org. We have tons of resources and information there, and you can contact us through there. Just kind of shoot us a quick email, and we'll get back to you. You can email us directly at team at welcomehomeyouth.org. You can connect with us on social media, whether that be through Facebook, uh, we're uh, Welcome Home Youth Advocacy, or through Instagram at Welcome Home Youth. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you sharing your story with us. Hey, we are excited for all that God is doing through Mike and hope Welcome Home becomes a beacon for those looking for encouragement, resources, and guidance. We hope you'll join us on this journey as we look to invite foster families to come and share their stories and experiences with our listeners. Signing off for now, may God bless you in the days ahead.